I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Yeehaw! Welcome back to the Align Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Alexander, and today I got to speak to a fellow that I am quite impressed by, Mr. Joel Salatin. You likely remember Joel from Farmageddon, from Food Inc., from, he's got five books out. He's the owner of a really radical farm in Virginia called Polyface Farms, and he is, I would say, he's got to be the most notable farmer on earth. Um, We had a fantastic discussion. You guys are going to love it. We got into how we can take our food back from this industrialized agricultural system that we are a part of. We got into the underlying costs of what we consider to be cheap food. And we got into so much more than that. I would say Joel is somewhat of a food philosopher. And this conversation, I absolutely implore everyone to listen to this. I would say that it is mandatory. Our food is where we start. It's the ground level. Without it, we are not going to go far and we need to be educated on this stuff. Biology and mechanics are two very different things. The, The fact is that our kitchens today are gadgetized to the point where grandma wouldn't even recognize our kitchen. 100 years from now, our grandchildren will look back at our fixation on germ theory with the same kind of of humor that we look back on the flat earthers of 600 years ago. Be sure to check out iTunes and leave a review, leave a comment, subscribe, share, blah, 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 blah. It is seriously super, super helpful. Um, As well, check out the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find my blog. You will find hundreds of free videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get the most out of your body. You will find the self-care kit. You will find online courses and coaching and so much fantastic information. It will make your head spin. I really hope you like it. I know you guys will. Um, Here we go. Back to a fantastic conversation with Mr. Joel Salatin. Bye. Align Podcast. So Joel Salatin, thank you so much for coming on, man. I've been watching your work for a while now and so greatly appreciate what you're doing. Um, I want to just get started with a quote that um, I heard you mention in Food Inc. that kind of inspired me actually to give you a ring in the first place. And it goes a little bit like this. Hopefully I don't mess it up too much. It's not exactly what you said, but it's something along the lines. You said, a culture that views a pig as a pile of protoplasm, an inanimate structure to be manipulated by whatever creative design we can foist upon it is very likely to view the treatment of the individuals of its own community and the communities around the world with the same disdain, disrespect, and controlling mentality. And I think that that is such a profound statement and it's just like such a reality of the situation. And I'm curious, can you just kind of elaborate on that a little bit of your perspectives on just the relation of how we yeah, treat well, animals uh, versus people? Yeah, sure. Well, well, first of all, you, you, you hit it pretty close. Uh, I don't know if that's word for word, but it's, it's um, 
I'll, I'll sign off on your rendition of it at least. Thank you. <laughs> uh, now, now, you know, one of our one of our favorite statements around here is that we, you know, that we honor the the pigness of the pig, and you know, it, it makes everybody smile. It sounds warm and fuzzy, but that, that's an extremely profound statement in a culture that that never that that never basically asks, does it matter uh, if we honor and respect the pigness of the pig? I mean, our our, our our whole question when it comes to biology, food and plants, uh, uh, animals and plants, is how do we grow it? How do we grow them faster, fatter, bigger, cheaper? Uh, and so, so life, the, the fundamental uh, aspects of life, are viewed as just you know inanimate protoplasmic objects that we that that, that we have free license and free reign to manipulate however cleverly hubris can imagine to malip, manipulate them. I mean, it's a it's an extremely uh, top down conquistador mentality, and 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 it manifests itself in all sorts of ways. I mean, one of the most dramatic nows now is uh, genetically modified organisms. You know, where we're where we're 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 um, disrespecting all of the barriers that nature has to protect itself from cross speciation and uh, and we are just running roughshod over those over those protective boundaries and saying, well, who cares? It doesn't matter. We we can make it something that's half tomato, half pepper, half pig, half salmon. You know, it's okay. And and. Um, and and of course, you know, one of the most egregious ones recently that all of us would appreciate is the, you know, is the notion that for what thirty years, uh, our best and brightest, you know, ag experts, whatever, our PhDs, told us to uh, feed dead cows to cows, you know, because this is a way to grow them fatter, faster, bigger, cheaper, and so farmers began feeding dead cows to cows, and thirty years later, there's this big. And, and and I may must say parenthetically there that farmers like us who did not buy into that idea were branded and vilified by the you know by the uh, intellectual uh, scientific elite as you know luddites and and barbarians and uh, Neanderthals and anti progressives and anti science and all this um, and and then thirty years later there was this big you know kind of global um, oops, maybe we should not have done that, you know. Uh, and and uh, with with bovine spongiform encephalopathy, also known, of course, as mad cow. And and the the reason that we, I say we, our family, our farm, did not buy into that was not because we were anti science or hated the USDA or whatever. It was because we could not see a template anywhere on the planet in which an herbivore each carry on. And so it was a fundamental it was a fundamental denial of the herbivoreness of the herbivore that enabled intellectually um, you know prideful uh, scientists to determine that well, you know, if if we can if we can feed dead cows to cows we uh, uh, and, and we can get enough molasses and sweeteners and you know stuff in there for them to get it down. Well, you know that's cheap feed, right. and 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 and, um, and that that plays havoc. You know, uh, Sir Albert Howard, who was the uh, you know who who essentially brought scientific aerobic composting to the world in his um, iconic book, An Agricultural Testament. In 1943, he's the one that basically invented uh, scientific aerobic composting, or at least you know 
made it into a formula that people could duplicate. Um, in, in his 1943 book, he says, when you, when you feed the soil artificials, that's what he called chemical fertilizers, artificials, it, it, uh, it grows artificial plants, which make artificial animals, which make artificial people who can only be kept alive by the use of artificials. Right. Yeah. Boy, if, if that if that is if that isn't um, you know presciently prophetic right. uh, from 1943, that's a that's a powerful uh, statement. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's I think it's it's not just that you are what you eat, but it's you are what you eat. Ate. You know, it's like yeah. you have to look yeah. into the ver from the ground up stage, and and it's so easy to be short sighted with this stuff because. That's what it seems to our leaders, you know, that's the vision of the leaders that we're following, that we're supposed to trust, you know, and it's like if we can't trust the FDA or, you know, the, the, the powers above, then it's like we kind of have to come to this point now where we need to trust ourselves. Now, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, well, well Go uh, I would even, I would even, yeah, not only trust ourselves, but, but better yet, um, whatever, whatever the orthodoxy of the day says, don't trust it. If the USDA and FDA say it, it, it you know, it's probably uh, a wrong. Right. And, um, I mean, think, I mean these, these people, they have, a, they have a terrible track record. I mean, they told, us, they told us to quit using butter and lard and use margarine and hydrogenated oils. Well, right. as, as Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they told us to, to, uh, to sprinkle our kids' hair with DDT. Uh, they told us to, they told us that manure, uh, that animal manure was not even worth applying it to the fields. Uh, just use, you know, uh, chemical 10-10-10 fertilizer. Um, uh, you know, you, you, you can go back, and, and the, the, the point is that the track record of this crowd that, that has disappreciated the, the biological, uh, the, the fact that, that life is not mechanical. Yes, it has, fundam- it has mechanical aspects, but biology and mechanics are two very different things. Right. And, and this crowd that views life as fundamentally simply a, a mechanical thing, you know, dating clear back to Justice von Leibig, who in 1837, with his vacuum tubes, um, shocked the world with the pronouncement that all of life is just a rearrangement of nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. And this, this incredibly simplistic, mechanistic view of life now, now permeates, you know, permeates everything to the point where, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't look at holistically, relationally, creating a terrain of well-being and wellness and health. Instead, we just do whatever we want to, and then we assume that there's some, some magical, you know, fixer elixir, some, some uh, um, five-in-one oil or something, you know, that, that we can take, and, and, and like a machine, we can, we can squirt some grease in the joint and, uh, and, and you know, change a bearing, and we're good to go. Right, and it, it's and it appears as though our farmers of today are being replaced with, like you said, mechanics. You know, and I'm yes. curious of like what that, 
What's the implications of that in the future? And how do we guide this down a more natural path? Like what's actionable steps that people can actually be doing today to take hold of their food and take hold of the future of their food? Yeah, well, I always say there are three things that I think are very practical that, that anybody can do. And anybody, of course, includes me. Um, so, so here's the three things that I tell people to do, whether you're, you're in a, you know, in a fifth, a fifth floor condominium in a, you know, in the middle of San Francisco or out on a, you know, a hundred thousand acre ranch in Colorado. Um, the first thing is to get in your kitchen. And that sounds, that sounds silly, but much of the, much of the manipulation and the adulteration I would even go so far as to say the prostitution of our food supply is done by the processing and the and the refabrication of food to make it either sterile, stable, uh, or, or you know, or increase shelf life uh, or, or convenient. Um, the 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 fact is that when you take um, living living food and manipulate it so that it's shelf-stable, so that it is um, sterile, and so that it is convenient, uh, you, you change it remarkably from, you know, from the life force that's in it, you, you, you change it to something, well, to something that's mechanical. Right. And, uh, and so, so getting in your kitchen where you're actually taking whole live real foods, you know, feel foods that'll, that'll get mold on them if they sit, foods that will rot, foods that deteriorate, um, you know, those kinds of things, and actually using your domestic culinary arts to prepare, preserve, package, and process in your, in your uh, home kitchen, that's, that's the most fundamental thing you can do to break the back, to, to not only take to take responsibility for your own, you know, internal three trillion member bacterial community, but also to break the back of the food stranglehold of the Monsantos, the Cargills, the Archer Daniels Midlands, and all that, you know, of the world. Right. So that's number one. Get in your kitchen. Awesome. Number uh, and, and and when I say get in your kitchen, I'm not talking about hearth cooking, hoop skirts, and and washboards. I love my hoop <laughs> skirt. <laughs> Don't take it away from me. As, as romantic as that may sound to somebody that didn't live back then, you know, um, uh, the, the the fact is that our kitchens today are gadgetized and uh, and and techno sophisticated uh, to the point where Grandma wouldn't even recognize our kitchen. Uh, you know, we have stainless steel uh, running hot and cold water. You know, uh, uh, an oven on demand. You know, electric or propane gas or whatever refrigerators uh, we got we got tupperware we've got <laughs> all sorts of cool you know cool you know, we've got cuisinarts and and uh and and all sorts of cool things so so uh it, it, it's not when i say kitchen i'm not talking about the laborious you know having to run to the spring with a wooden bucket to get your water you know i'm, I'm talking about you know a modern kitchen uh, all right that's number one number two number two is to Take one year, this is my challenge, take one year of your uh, entertainment budget, uh, uh, whether it's Netflix, the Caribbean cruise, the golf course, whatever it is, but take one year of your entertainment recreational uh, time and, and uh, expense budget and put all of that energy on finding 
your integrity food sources. And what you will find is that every community is full of really, really high-quality, soil-building, nutrient-dense integrity food producers, many of whom are desperate for one more customer, right. two more customers. All right, so, so just... So just, you know, uh, turn off the TV, uh, um, you know, put down the golf clubs for a while and just say, you know, if there's going to be a change, I have to be a part of it. I'm going to participate. Come down off the bleachers and get in the game. Awesome. And, and so, so take that budget for one year. And in one year, you will become so skilled and, and, and you'll look back on the year and say, my goodness, this is so easy. Why didn't I do this, you know, at the beginning? Right. Um, that's number two. Number three, and the third final one, is do something yourself. Now, whether that's um, a, a, a something as simple as a vermicomposting bed under your sink, a tomato plant in a you know in a in a pot on the on the patio, a beehive on the roof of the house, a um, uh, you know a, a, a chicken, you know, get rid of your pet dog and cat and, and put in two chickens, you know. Uh, they, they, they take less room, they, they make less manure, and they take all your kitchen scraps and give you eggs out of them. I mean, what, what better thing can you have than that? Um, but, but do, do something. Uh, go participate in a, in a CSA garden, pull some weeds. Um, but do something participatory and visceral with your food system so that you begin to understand the, the awesomeness, the, the absolute, uh, uh, you know, uh, almost you know, the, 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 the mystical aspects of the, the miracle of growth, of the miracle of, of life, uh, so that you actually participate in something that's actually growing. And, um, and I just think that those three things, get in your kitchen, find your local food treasure, and, and do something participatory yourself. Those three things are things that anyone can do, and they will they will start you on to a path of discovery and self reliance that will that will create its own spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional rewards that are you know beyond tangible. That's amazing. Um, you know, and I, I couldn't agree with more with everything you just said. And I think that so many people, you know, we need to recognize that everything that we do, it's a habituation of something that we did before, you know? And so when we think like, oh, but I need to have my like microwave oven pop up, you know, popcorn, whatever thing. It's like, I, I need that. It's like, mm -hmm. you only feel like you need that because you've been doing that for the last 10 years, but making those small little titrations, those small little steps that start opening up. It's like, oh, wow, it is really easy to maybe like find a local farmer, find, you know, at least buy organic food from the grocery store. It becomes a habituated thing. I'm curious with you, you are obviously super articulate. Your ideas are, are really well-founded and it's very clear and easy to hear you, hear you speak. Um, you don't sound much like a farmer, Joel. <laughs> like, like what, what are your inspirations? What are you, and I don't mean anything against like farmer, I mean, but it's just as far as hearing you speak, it's like my first thing wouldn't be like, oh yeah, Joel Salad, he's definitely a farmer. Like, what, what are your inspirations? Like, where, where do you get, you know, where do you get this from? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, that, that's, uh, it's kind of bittersweet to hear you say. I mean, I, I wish that we had more. Uh, and I, I chide farmers. You know, I tell these guys, I said, look, 
guys and gals, you know, uh, um, get rid of the bit. I mean, get rid of the bib overalls and <laughs> and uh, uh, clean the dandruff out of your hair. The you know the hay chaff and read a book. You know, read magazines. Read. Uh, so so, uh, I read a lot. I I I mean I read just incessantly. Um, you know the the old proverbial bookworm. Well, you know that's me. Um, I just as soon read than pretty much than eat. And um, and 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 I read I read widely. I read stuff. I read liberal stuff, conservative stuff, business stuff, farm stuff, soil stuff. Uh, um, um, you know uh, literature stuff. Um, the the point is to expose yourself to a very broad range of ideas. Right. Because I think I think almost all of us tend to, oh I don't know, kind of fall into a. We we like pigeonholes. They're comfortable, you know. Routines are, routine is comfortable, and and um, but but, you know, routines are generally not the place of innovation, and so, um, if if we're going to really have new ideas and. Um, and bring an articulate message to our community, you know, we need, we need to appreciate the different nuances of arguments. We need to uh, be up on whatever the latest, you know, the latest thinking is about, about the issue, about that topic. And, and I frankly think we need to uh, push ourselves to spend time maybe with people we don't agree with and, and uh, who who challenge us, and I, I know that I have certainly benefited a lot from people who, you know, don't, you know, don't see eye to eye with what I see, right. and that's why travel is good. That's why you know, just reading widely is good. Now, as far as as far as just uh, you know articulating and and making presentations and things like that. Uh, you have to realize that, you know, I grew up with this, you know, kind of gift of communication. I was in the school plays. I was on the interscholastic intercollegiate debate team. I have a room full of debate trophies. And I I thrive on, you know, on theater, drama, communication, that sort of thing. And and right now, I'll tell you, when, when uh, parents come up to me with their little, you know, 10-year-olds in tow and say, um, my son or daughter, you know, wants to be a farmer, you know, what, what should I do? I, my first thing is uh, enroll them in the local community theater. You know, <laughs> learn you know, learn to tell stories. Learn to learn to think on your feet. Learn to be comfortable um, um, speaking, uh, communicating, because because those are the people who ultimately lead the world. Right. If you if you want to if you want if you want your ideas to gain credence. In our culture, you need to be able to defend, articulate, and inspirationally present those ideas. And um, and as much as I, you know, I want the ten-year-old to learn how to milk a cow, plant a tomato, build a compost pile. Yes, you know, that that is all absolutely uh, uh, great. But the the real the real leaders are going to be people who can. Tell about milking a cow, planting a tomato, and building a compost pile, right. and make people laugh and clap for having heard how to do it. Right. Yeah. I'm, 
you know, I, I always say readers are leaders. You know, I think it's such an important yeah. thing to be able to embrace yeah. that because, you know, you are what you eat. You also are what you read. You know, if you yeah. are, if you don't read anything, when it comes time to be able to vocalize your opinions on things, it's, it's probably going to be an uphill battle. Um, one, right. of the, one of the things, and I could be off on this, I heard recently that the average age of farmers in the United States is 58 years old. Is that, have you ever heard any average age of how, how old farmers are out there? Yes, that is abs- that is correct. It's actually increasing 0.4. It's increasing by 0.4 years per year, and has been now for quite some time. And so, yeah, we're absolutely we're pushing 60 years old on America's farmers. Now that 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 indicates a couple of things. Oh man. Um, one is one is that that it indicates it's very difficult for young people to get in. Uh, if if in any economic sector, I mean, this is a, this is a Wall Street axiom. This is like a business axiom. When uh, when the average practitioner of any economic sector is over 35, that's an economic sector in decline. The the point is that when young people can't get into an economic sector, the old people can't get out. So hmm. so you know both generations are stuck here. Wow. And so so. Um, if you read right now, for example, the land grant college uh, demographics showing, you know, out into the future, the actuarials, they show that, listen to this statistic, in the next 15 years, more than 50% of America's agricultural equity is going to change hands. Huh. In the next 15 years, you know, the 15 years, you know, that, that's not very long. Uh, and the older you get, the more you realize 15 years is not very long, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, in societal, societal evolution. Um, and, and, and 15 years, 50 per half of all America's agricultural equity is going to change hands. That's, that's an astounding statistic. Um, I, I, so there, there are a lot of factors that enter into this elderly farmer thing, but one of the things that it, that it, does, that it does show is that farming lags all economic sectors in on-farm innovation because people become less and less innovative the older they get because innovation innovation takes a lot of energy you know you, you, you because part of innovation is failing i mean edison right. edison did whatever it was you know 180 experiments till he figured out the light bulb or something you know and they the story is told that they came to him at about a you know at about a hundred and sixty eight uh, experiment that failed and and they they oh man I just can't bear to tell him that another experiment failed and and uh, he could hear him you know all glum and chattering behind him he said what's the problem you guys and and they they admitted to him you know that the, that the 168th experiment had failed and he just clapped his hands and laughed and he said wonderful now we know 168 things that don't work that just brings us closer to the one that will right. and and you know what up you know what a, what a spirit what an attitude but um but but it shows that the 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 time of innovation is primarily for young people because that's when you have enough resiliency and energy to pick yourself up after failure most people become more and more uh, uh, averse to new to new things as as they get older as your as your you know your energy your energy wanes right. and so so when, when people when people like you and I sit here and say man can't farmers see 
whatever the you know the, the degradation of factory farming or the you know the lack of profitability in industrial agriculture or the soil erosion or the the riparian dead zones or, or you know or Monsanto's lies or you know whatever it is and we're sitting here saying don't they undertake you why know, ah, why can't they get this. <laughs> Um, well, they're, you know, they're 60, and this is, this is their orthodoxy. This is what they've been doing all their life. And these are the experts that they have, you know, signed on. These are the magazines they've been reading since they were kids. Right. And the companies that they wear, you know, they, they wear the, the baseball caps with their logos prominently em, uh, emblazoned on their frontal lobe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they're not going to change. You know, they're, right. they're just not going to change. Right. And so it's going to take... It's going to take a new, you know, new generation of young, you know, young energy to, to, to make that change. You know, so the really scary thing is that it's cheaper, significantly cheaper to get crappy food that actually, you know, I can't say absolutely that McDonald's causes cancer, but you know, like this food definitely causes pathology. It definitely causes degradation of our system, you know, and it's cheaper to get that, that substance than it is to get the healthy good stuff. Now I'm curious, uh-huh. you know, it's like for, it's really easy for, again, like, like people like us to be saying like, oh, just go out, buy organic food. No big deal. You know, make that decision to, you know, veto all the other stuff, recognizing that every dollar bill that you have, that is a vote. In my opinion, that is a more powerful vote than your vote at the ballot. You know, like that is what really ships our, shapes our economy and shapes the decisions from above is like, what are people buying? You know, if we let some products spoil today, great, they won't be shipped tomorrow. You know, it's like, it's so important. But at the same time, there's so many people out there that it's like, all right, Aaron, well, I have a family of six and we have, you know, $14 to spend today. What do you tell me? You know, like how, how can we shift this that it's the masses that can start to get the change as opposed to continuing to preach to the choir like so many people do. Yeah, yeah well, it's a, that's certainly the, a great question, and it's one of, the, one of the two most common ones that I receive. One is price, and the other one is how do we feed the world this way. Right. So let's talk, about the, let's talk about the price issue. Um, uh, first of all, realize that processed food is not cheap. Right. Uh, you, you no doubt, uh, Aaron, saw the movie Food, Inc., the documentary Food, Inc. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a great movie, but um, there's one really uh, egregious error in it, and that is this, uh, I think it's a Hispanic family that goes to Burger King, and, um, and then they, they uh, say they can't afford good food while they're munching down this burger and a like an 84 ounce uh, soft drink and a biggie biggie fries from burger king well i know what that meal that meal cost ten dollars uh back when food inc was made and at that time you could buy two whole pounds of our um you know world-class grass-finished ground beef two pounds of it for ten dollars now there's more there was more nutrition in a quarter pound of one of our pounds of ground beef than that Burger King meal. Trust me, more nutrition. Right. Um, by and far, so, sure. By, by, by far. And so the, the, so the point is that much of what we, that, that processed food is expensive, and if you buy unprocessed and fix it yourself, 
yeah, you can you know you can watch your sitcom while you're fixing it. That's fine. Put it in the goodness. You know, you don't have to spend any time. Just drop it in the crock pot, the slow cooker. You know, forty forty um, you know forty watts of power, and it sits there all day and just you know simmers and percolates. And and when you get done, you know supper's ready. Uh, it, it's the you know, it's like the zero time uh, dinner, um, slow cooker, whatever. But but um, you know it, the, the point is processed food's expensive. I was up in. I was up in uh, New York City a couple of years ago, and at the uh, Green Market there on Union Square, arguably the most expensive market in the most expensive city in the whole world. And I asked my hostess, I said, uh, I asked her, could could you take me to the most expensive potato in this most expensive market in the world? She said, oh, I know exactly the guy. So we wove through the traffic there, through the people, uh, and and went to this uh, vendor stall, and it was beautiful. He had these these boxes all set out there, you know, and he had, uh, you know, white potatoes, red potatoes, blue potatoes, green potatoes, long potatoes, short potatoes, round potatoes, you know, um, every kind of potato you could imagine, about 20 or 30 different varieties. I looked over the boxes. I found the most expensive one, and it was a, it was a Peruvian heirloom blue potato for two, for one ninety nine a pound, a dollar ninety nine a pound. Now, all around the green market are supermarkets, with a hundred feet of expensive fluorescent lighted, um, handicapped accessible shelf space, selling potato chips for three and four ninety nine a pound. Mm. So, if you bought the most expensive Peruvian heirloom blue potato in the world, <laughs> took it home and stuck it through your Cuisinart and in your fry baby with with uh, lard in it, you could make potato chips far, far superior nutritionally and far cheaper than those uh, bagged processed potato chips out of the supermarket shelf. The, the, the thing is, when people start talking about price, um, I, I always look at them and say, okay, take me to your home. Here's what we're not going to find. We're not going to find any of this in your home. We're not going to find any coffee, tobacco. We're not going to find soft drinks. We're not going to find heat and eat meals. We're not going to find uh, hot pockets. We're not going to find, you know, microwavable this. We're not going to find a flat screen TV, iPads, iPods. We're not going to find $100 designer jeans with holes already in the knees. No lottery tickets. Uh, you, are, are you with me? You, you, go, you go down the line and you realize, goodness gracious, we spend money on the most I mean, does anybody really need a People magazine with a Kardashian on the cover? Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, <laughs> do, we, do we really need a Las Vegas? I mean, really? Right. Do we really need KFC, Taco Bell? Uh, do we really need these? And, and, uh, and, and I, just think, I just think that we, that we miss. Um, we're, so, we're so quick to cry Victim, victim, you know, right. put my hand up. Victim, I'm right here. I'm the victim, right. and we're and we don't as a culture, uh, we don't, you know, uh, uh, push people to realize, you know, the change you want to see is up to me, and and I'm, I've got to be part of the solution. Right, you know, and something that I like to it's like a mantra of mine that I, I I've learned this like three years ago. I was really pissed off about something and. My buddy, he told me, he's like, he's like, Aaron, like, have you ever tried to really like just claim responsibility? Like, just say it. Like, I am responsible for this. 
you know, and, wow. and I think it's so powerful, you know, because like responsible, like if you break it down, it's able to respond. Like that is yep. the most empowering statement yep. that I can think of is I am responsible. Everything that's happening yep. in my ecosystem, everything that's happening in my grocery store, everything that's happening in this reality, I am able to respond to that. You know, and I yep. think it's such a powerful thing when we start looking at it from this perspective. It's like, you know, I'm not a victim anymore. You know, it's like if we don't yep. like this stuff, don't buy it. You know, like let's respond by coming together and get the good stuff and vote for the good stuff. One of the things that right. you're, one of the things you're getting at, as well as, you know, the the unseen costs of that McDonald's hamburger, right? You know, it's yeah. like for and this is I'm, this is not my wheelhouse or my, my my specialty, but from my understanding, it's more caloric expenditure to create that burger than it is an actual calories for the individual. You know, as far as processing the meat and bringing all the you know yeah. the crappy grain to them, you know, moving right, all right, the manure right. and all that stuff. You know, I'm curious for you, your perspectives on that, and then kind of side question. You know, we think that we need to make this GMO nonsense crap in order to feed the masses because this population is so huge. Can small farms do it? <laughs> well, that's the, as I mentioned, that's the second most common question. The first, <laughs> you know, price. How can we afford it? And the second one is is um, is is about uh, can we actually feed the world? And and uh, the answer the answer on on price. Well, I've already talked about price. Uh, probably enough enough for this uh, discussion right now. So let's let's move to well, you know, can can small farms can can we actually feed the world? You have to realize that this whole deal about feeding the world, the world has never been more awash in food than it is right now. Right now, hmm. half of all human edible food in the world never gets eaten; it gets thrown away. That has never happened in the history of civilization. Um, and, and and it happens primarily because we have a a, a global warehousing uh, type of food system that is fundamentally. Now I'm going to use a a powerful charged word because we have created a segregated food system. Mm-hmm. We we we. We have only been able to create a segregated food system in very recent history because prior to refrigeration and cheap transportation and petroleum and travel, we had to have fundamentally integrated systems because you simply couldn't transport it, keep it, or or whatever, you know, for long periods of time. So you had to have an integrated system. Today, we've been able to break apart apart that that sophisticated integration where you know chickens ate kitchen scraps and laid eggs and the eggs came back into the kitchen and you had this this very tightly integrated system uh, you know today we have the chicken factories that are feeding that are eating grain produced somewhere else that is fertilized with material from the Middle East somewhere else and the food scraps go somewhere else oh yeah they might get composted in the greeny university uh, and get composted 12 miles off site so that they can bring the compost back in for the, you know, inedible landscaping and azaleas and Bartlett pears and, or, or Bradford pears, not Bartlett, Bartlett are edible, uh, Bradford pears, um, and, and beautify the campus uh, and get a greeny award for at least composting their kitchen scraps. No, the, the real green campus would be one that had a chicken house uh, up next to the dining services and all the scraps came out to the chickens the chickens ate them and turned them into eggs now the campus doesn't have to buy eggs from a factory house 
and they don't have to even put the scraps on a truck to take it 12 miles away to the composting site, and it's all fundamentally integrated. Those are the kinds of systems that ultimately that ultimately create food security. They have done it always in the past, and they and they will absolutely do it in the future. The truth is that America has 35 35 million acres of lawn. Hmm. And thirty six and thirty six million acres housing and feeding recreational horses. That's seventy one million acres. That's more than enough to feed our entire country without one single farm or ranch. Wow. The the the, the favorite the favorite phrase of the industrial food system is this whole idea that we're running out of food. Even I was with Vandana Shiva recently in Australia. And even Vandana Shiva completely uh, uh, blows away this whole, you know, we can't feed the world. Uh, the truth is um, we have never been more awash in food. Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't going hungry, but they're not going hungry not because there's not enough food. It's because, it's because of, of either, you know, laziness. It's because of some socio-political thing where, a, you know, a warlord won't let a Red Cross truck pass a, you know, a, a mountain Pakistani pass to a, you know, to a to a, a a famished village. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons that people go hungry, but it has nothing to do with the volume of food being produced. But if but but whenever anybody when everybody ever anybody cries, you know, uh, we can't we can't feed the world. The industrial food system loves that because they invented it, right? And it keeps it keeps everybody paranoid mm -hmm. that if we don't have Tyson and if we don't have Monsanto and if we don't have genetically modified organisms, we're all going to starve to death. And so, so the whole myth, the whole myth of feeding the world um, through industrial food, is the favorite mantra mm -hmm. of the entire industrial mechanistic food system wow you know and that's you know like f fear peddling you know as, as, as long as yeah, the, it is. as long as the culture is afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow you know and we yeah. need big brother to protect us then we'll yeah. pretty much just throw our hands up and say do whatever you need to do i just need to feed my family you know, and as long yeah. as we're in that yeah. position, it's like this, it's exactly what you said before. It's like this, such a vulnerable position. And I wonder mm -hmm. in that statistic with the lawns in America, if that includes all the golf courses of America. No, you know? no, it doesn't, doesn't include the golf courses. <laughs> you know, you so, yeah, if you, if, you had, if you had the golf courses, then, then there's another whole, you know, whole uh, deal. But I mean, I mean, just, just the, the, the fact that, uh, for example, 75% of everything that's gone into sanitary landfills, and that, that could be an oxymoron, but anyway, uh, in, into sanitary <laughs> landfills in the U.S., 75% of everything that's gone into them since their inception is biodegradable, compostable material. Right. I mean, that is, a, that is like, that's just unconscionable. I mean, that, that's like a, 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 a moral failing of the culture, right. you know. And, and talk about moral failure. I mean, I mean, the fact that our gross domestic product, that, that the way we measure cultural success is gross domestic product, which, which, which bears no, um, no liability on the ledger for, uh, for water pollution. I mean, if, if, if I pollute a lake and then, and then the government has to come in and clean it all up, 
all of that is economic activity, which adds to gross domestic product. The, the, the fact that I could pollute a lake or give, or, or, or give everybody diarrhea with, with uh, E. coli chicken or whatever, you know, that, that is all, it all goes on as a, as a positive economic activity as opposed to, you know, maybe we should put on all the 700 dead zones as a, could, could we possibly put those on as a liability on our nation's balance sheet? Could we possibly put on, you know, every time we build a jail, that is a, that is actually a prison. That's actually a an economic negative right. to the culture. How about a, a juvenile delinquency center? You know, uh, a negative. I mean, you could go down the line. But but my point is to just to just measure a civilization's success by by a a ubiquitous. Uh, if somebody if somebody's doing something, whether it's good or bad, it all adds to growth. Is just uh, it's 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 insane. Right. Yeah. There's a book. I forget what it's called exactly. It's it's like stories of an economic hitman. I believe is what it's called. I don't know if you've ever yeah. read, read that. Have yeah. you read that book before? Uh, and, yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's amazing the congruencies yeah. within this industry and you know the stories of an economic hitman. I know I'm not saying that exactly right, but it's something to that nature. You know, it's like where yeah. we go, we go in, you know, and we say, hey, you know, like we want this resource, we want this thing, whatever it may be, you know, and uh, either give it to us or you know, there's options. We're, we'll we'll take out yeah. your leader, you know, or we end up giving them. We develop this infrastructure in the place that we know that they will not be able to sustain themselves. We put them in massive amounts of debt, and then yeah. we, they come back and say, man, we can't pay you off. Um, I guess you own us right. now. You know? And right. they knew I, I, that yeah. from the very beginning. Yes, yes. I, I, think, I, think, the word, I think it's confessions, confessions. of an economic Confessions, that's what it is, yeah. Exactly. I think that's what it is. But yeah, you're exactly right. And, and, you know, I, I, I never use the word conspiracy because if you use the word conspiracy, then you're a nutcase. Right. But, but what, what I like to use is a fraternity of ideas. And, and, and um, you know, we, we have the phrase from the old Jim Jones days, you know, they drunk the Kool-Aid. And, and the fact is that we do have, we kind of have this orthodoxy in our culture, this orthodoxy that says, you know, food should be cheap, that says health comes out of a bottle that says, um, you know, uh, uh, kitchens and farming are degrading to intellectual uh, humans. Uh, you know, we have these orthodoxies in our day, and, and every one of them um, creates, uh, actually creates less security, more dependency, right. and, uh, well, as Wendell Berry says, it, it creates more problems than solutions. So that what's what's wrong with us creates more gross domestic product than what's right with us, and and uh, and it's it's just it's just a flip over way of viewing things. So you know that's why I I have fun with it and just call myself the heretic, because because I, I think it's I think it's important to uh, to appreciate that the the, uh, the the official party line and this is bipartisan. It's not just Democrats and Republicans. It's the official party line. Um, is a is an orthodoxy that, for the most part, is 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 completely incorrect. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's as wrong as 600 years ago 
the party line was the earth is flat, the earth is not round. And if you dared to say the earth is round, you know, you were a nutcase. You were, you know, what was the deal? You're a nutcase. Right. And, and today, if you dare, I mean, one of the books I'm reading right now is The Curse of Louis Pasteur. Mm. And, it's, and it's how the germ theory, the germ theory permeates everything in our, in our health culture today. And it's, and it's absolutely 180 degrees backwards. What's true, what's right, is the terrain theory. And what's happening is now the more we know about science, the more we know about the human biome and all these things, we're now realizing that it is that Antoine Beauchamp was actually correct. It, it, it is all about the terrain. Right. And, and, you know, it would, it, it's just fascinating to, to, to think if 100 years from now we will look, we, well, I won't be here, but, but 100 years from now our grandchildren will look back at our fixation on germ theory at the same kind with the same kind of of humor that we look back on the flat earthers of 600 years ago right you know and the fact of the matter is is we are all bacterio sapiens you know we are more bacteria than we are yes. human you know then that Absolutely. and that's then that's what makes us human you know but yes. for whatever reason we have this fear of bacteria we need to sterilize everything oh wash your hands oh what you know it's like it's like, man, oh man, you know, you were, you were killing the very foundation of what yeah. permits you to be a healthy, strong human being. You know, one of the, yeah. thi one of the things that, you know, so I, I do body work and movement coaching and I, you know, I help people's bodies move better, essentially, get out of pain and all that. You know, and one of the yeah. things that, one of the reasons that so many people are in pain is because they don't have enough adaptation in their life. They don't give themselves an opportunity to move through full ranges of motion in their body. You know, they stay in a couple limited ranges. They sit, they stand, yep. they sit, they stand, repeat. You know, it's, it's like, that's uh -huh. not human. You know, and then yeah, it's, they need to get out in the garden and plant some tomatoes, right. pull some wheat, and uh, and 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 uh, uh, pick up pick up a pitchfork and toss some. They got they got they got to work at Polyface Farms. You know, yeah, so, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, no, you're you're, you're exactly right, and and this 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 um this narrow range of acceptivity um includes you know uh, safe food has to be sterile and exactly. so we've, we've decided that that coca-cola and mountain dew are safe food but but raw milk because it has little things in it that move around you know it, it's unsafe and so we've we've created these these categories of safe and unsafe based on life right and um and you know one of my favorite things was a there were a couple ladies in california they do a farm to school program i was out there doing a seminar and uh, they have a they have a two acre farm adjoining the middle school, and so uh, and and these two lady farmers um, that were running the course they were working with the environmental sciences uh, and the biology classes and stuff, and the kids would come out like for a half a day every two weeks as as, or, as part of the curriculum, and uh, uh, they had a they had a great big worm bed an earth a worm bed it was you know like a big coffin it was about eight feet big box about eight feet long and three feet wide and three feet deep. Talked about the worms and everything. So, the the two farmer gals had the the assignment was for the kids to bring bring food, and so the kids brought you know marshmallows and and uh, uh, Twizzlers and and uh, Wonder Bread and and uh, Cheerios and stuff, and they buried them in the worm box. And uh, then the the two farmer gals they brought you know an orange, an apple, uh, uh, some uh, raw beef, and uh, 
you know, some, some fresh sprouted quinoa bread, right? And they buried it over here in the other end of the box. Two years later, the kids came. They all charged up the hill. You know, they opened up the box. They started digging out. Here come the Twizzlers, the Snickers bar, the Cheerios, the Wonder Bread and all this, uh, you know, untouched. They go over to the other end. They start digging through, and they can't find any of, any of the, the orange, the beef, the, any of this other uh, stuff. And, uh, and the obvious question was, well, why would you want to eat something worms won't even eat? Right. Exactly. And it was, it was, it was a very powerful metaphor, object lesson of the fact that, you know, if, if it won't spoil and, 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 and life's uh, biology doesn't want to eat it, then it probably won't digest either. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things, one of the rules that I have for myself is I won't, generally speaking, I won't put it on my tongue or my mouth. Or I wouldn't put it on my skin if I wouldn't put it on my tongue or my mouth, you know, because our skin, yeah, yeah. It's, it's our body's largest organ. You know, it is, it is pulling in everything from our environment all the time. You know, so when you are dousing yourself in whatever sunblock, you know, it's like you can get zinc oxide. You can get all sorts of other, you know, coconut oil. There's so many natural um, mm-hmm. stuff out there that protects you the same way. But we're pouring these chemicals onto our body, pouring these chemicals into our food. You know, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I'm, I'm curious with you as far as like the lack of adaptation, you know, there's a, a great documentary I'm sure you've seen uh, called uh, King Corn. And, oh, yeah. And yeah. Like, one, of the, one of the really cool things in that is looking at the DNA of human beings, we are becoming corn. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's not okay at like a fundamental yeah. level in my opinion. Can you kind of like – what are your thoughts on, on the takeover of corn, and how can we kind of make this better? Yeah, well, I mean, the, yeah, the, 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 main, the main thing that you can do about corn uh, is to go to pastured livestock and, and uh, you know, unprocessed food, and, and there are other, other kinds of flowers, um, other kinds of things, other kinds of energy sources. But, but the main thing is to get these, to get these animals um, you know, on pasture, onto a salad bar. Now, right. you might you might supplement you might supplement them a little bit with corn. Um, and corn corn is not an evil thing in and of itself, um, but it's but again it's it's the balance it's the it, it's the it's the ubiquitousness of it and the and the high fructose corn syrup. I mean, that's the funniest part in it. King corn that you see the the laboratory they have to set up to make high fructose corn syrup. I mean, look, if, if if you need a laboratory, if you need a laboratory to make your food, I mean, that just <laughs> Folks, folks, that ain't normal, you know. Um, uh, and 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 you know, and if you if you and if you can't pronounce it, if you, if you need a if you need a, a chem, an, you know, a bachelor's of science degree in chemistry in order to read the label, um, you know, that's a problem. I mean, labels. If if your food has more than if the thing item that you're buying has more than about five things uh, on the label, you you. you there's something wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> thing, things are supposed to be pretty simple. I, I kind of go with Michael Pollan. You know, he said, he said we shouldn't be eating anything that wasn't available before 1900. That's kind of the cutoff date. Yeah. And, of course, you know, we, we can all be very thankful that hot dogs were, were introduced at the 1890 World's Fair. You know, just, it just slipped in under the, under the radar there, you know, at 1900. Right. But um, uh, I, I, think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you, if you can't pronounce it, if you need... If you need a, you know, a pronunciation a handbook in order to read the label on your food, you, yeah, you probably, probably ought to be buying something else. 
Right. Yeah. I, um, I call that the, the third world diet. Whereas like if you, if you showed your food to some kid in an Amazon jungle somewhere in the Amazon jungle and he didn't know what it was, you probably uh-huh. don't need to eat it. You know, because, oh, that's, because, that's a great one. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that one. That's a good one. That's uh, that's uh, that's very very creative. Right. Yeah, I mean, we you know we we need those ki- those kinds of little sound bites to help right uh, to help people contextualize and art- articulate in a sound bite right. this what I call our our, our tribal our tribal mentality uh, is. Is, is important because you know we live in a world of sound bites now. Right, and so well, there was there was so many things. I've been doing a bunch of research on all this in the last week since I knew I was going to be talking to you, and uh, you know one of the things that I found out was um, treating meat filler for burgers with ammonia. You know, and there's yeah. like there's it's like that is unbelievable. I mean, it's because of E. coli. You know, in, right, in right. 2006, I believe they were called, I think it was 22 million pounds mm-hmm. of ground right. beef. You know, it's like, that's right. unbelievable. That's enough to feed every person in the United States a burger, you know, and it's yeah, because well, of these practices. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, look at, look, at, uh, look at the avian influenza right now that's going through the Midwest. It's now gone to 15 states. They have now uh, uh, destroyed... 35 million chickens, 35 million chickens. Now just think about what that, you know, you can put about, you can put, if, if, if let's say a chicken averages, just, just for sake of discussion, let's say that a chicken averages five pounds yeah. uh, live, okay? Five pounds live, a tractor trailer can carry about 45,000 pounds of, of net weight, Um so, so at five pounds a piece, let's see now, I've got to be, I, I don't have the calculator in front of me, so um, I've got to think about this. 40, you know, 40,000, uh, five into 40 would be uh, eight, yeah, 8,000. All right, so, so 8,000, let's, let's just say, let's just say you put 10,000 chickens on a tractor trailer, just for sake of discussion, mm-hmm. just to, to, to make, you know, to make it easy to do in our heads so that, so that a, a podcast listener can follow us. Right. 10,000 chickens on a tractor trailer. They've just destroyed 35 million chickens. I mean, that's not, those chickens didn't go into food. Nobody ate those. They got, they got incinerated, landfilled, something, all right, just, wow. just annihilated, all right? 35 million. So 10,000, that's, that would mean uh, 100 tractor trailer loads per, per million at 10,000 birds per tractor trailer load. That's, that's a hundred tractor trailers per million. Hundred times thirty-five. That's that's thirty-five hundred. Thirty-five. Thirty-five hundred tractor trailer loads. Jesus. Now, now, back in two thousand four, when we had the latest kind of big outbreak of high path avian influenza. Uh, Great Britain did a did a study. You know the, the one that the one that started out there in uh, in Vietnam and Laos and, and Cambodia and, and the Far East, mm-hmm. and, um, and and it worked its way into Europe. Great Britain did a study, and they found that if a chicken gets two blades of fresh grass a day, it's immune to avian influenza. Two wow. blades of fresh grass a day. Wow. Now now. Do you think that anyone, anyone in the industry is going to suggest, you know, we wouldn't have this, these 35 
3,500 tractor trailer loads of destroyed chickens if we gave them two blades of fresh grass a day through, you know, through a pastured uh, 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 model. Well, no, no, nobody, nobody, nobody could dare to say that because you'd be a heretic. You know, it's, it's not acceptable to the orthodoxy. Right. It's not acceptable to the orthodoxy. And, and that's the thing that I, I would like your listeners to, to understand is these are not bad people. They're not evil people. They, they are simply, they are simply uh, um, towing to an orthodoxy that is as false and ubiquitous hmm. as those who said the earth was flat 600 years ago. Right. Yeah, as something we're, we're starting to wind down, we only have a few minutes left. So as far as for to educate folks when they are in a grocery store, you know, you, it's so easy to get tricked by all this labeling. And, you know, I think that it's very intentional oftentimes, you know, but we have all these different potential categories of labels of, you know, organic or grass fed or free range or no antibiotics or, you know, like all these different names. You know, and, and from my understanding, a lot of them are not completely accurate always, you know, to in, order, in order to actually, you know, procure that name doesn't necessarily so mean that the image in your mind relates to the, the reality of that food or that animal. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the understatement of the year. That's, uh, you're, you're being very, um, very generous uh, <laughs> in, 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 in um, deferring to they're not always accurate uh, rather than saying they're not intentionally misleading, right. but anyway, uh, you know my my take on that is that's why that's why you, you unplug for a year and go find your farmer and 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 you will be the thing is finding your food sourcing your food is a skill just like any other skill just like driving a car or just like anything right now you know if if you're if you're 15 and you've never sat in the driver's seat of a car, that is a very scary thought. Man, I'm going to steer this 2,000-pound hunk of steel with 100 horses under the hood, and I'm going to get on an expressway. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a very intimidating thing. Right. But that's why you start in a parking lot. You start, you know, in your, <laughs> in your school, whatever. Um, and and, and this, this food acquisition thing is, is very intimidating, too, you know, the first time. But that's why... If you just if you just start and you go you go to the farmers market and you go visit a farm and you what you do is then you develop the lingo, the skill and the discernment to be able to respond. I love your I love your use of the word respond in responsibility. Right. That you're you're able then to respond um, responsibly, <laughs> and, 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 and you're, what you're doing is you're exercising, just like you're suggesting we need to exercise for our, our multiple movement. When we exercise our decision-making power, it gets better, too. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's, it's, it comes down to the fact that we need to demand more. You know, we need to stop rolling over and just accepting whatever comes. Because the fact of the matter yeah. is, the government, you know, they are protecting the industry first. Yeah. They are not protecting yeah. the individual yeah. first. You know, and that, that comes us, you know, right. back like yeah. full circle to your yeah. original yeah. statement about the protoplasmic pile of pig. Yeah. 
You know, it's like, yeah. if you yeah. see our government treating these living beings this way, mm-hmm. yeah. man, that's saying something big about their perception of us, the other beings. Yeah. That's you know, so, exactly right. You know, I'm curious for you, I, I know you have so much amazing information to put out. Like, it's such a pleasure to get to chat with you. Um, how do people find you? How do people, I know you're coming to Oregon and you're coming actually to the farm that I have a share of a cow where I went and I met the pigs and I met the cow and I met Billy at Windy Acres and you know like I actually go yeah. to the farm and pick this stuff yeah. up. I actually eat. You know people ask me oftentimes like Aaron what do you eat? You're in pretty good shape. I eat a ton of raw butter. I eat a ton of raw milk. Uh-huh. I eat a ton of raw eggs, right? Yeah. I eat yeah. this yeah. food, you know, and guess uh-huh. what? I don't get sick. You know, my body right. is continually, I mean, I get sick every once in a while, but not often. You know, my body's continually able to adapt to this bacteria, you know, and that yeah. is the thing. When you took, when you take milk, right, when you pasteurize it, you destroy the stuff that allows it to break down well in your body. You know, if yeah, you're lactose intolerant, right. you're killing the lactase yeah. that breaks down the lactose in the milk. Right. You know, right. and so it's like people, we need to be able to make responsible decisions for ourselves you know, and we need to take the power back. You know, I don't want to just right. whine and complain and, well, you know, the world's coming to an end. The world's not coming to an end. You know, it's like you're saying, it's like we have an abundance here. We just need to grab yeah. it by the balls. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Know? That's right. So do yeah, you have any, yeah. any, any final words for people? And, and as well, absolutely link to your site and all that stuff. Please, please, please. Yeah, well, I, I would just say that, that, that nature's default position is fundamentally wellness, not sickness. And if mm-hmm. and if, if there's if it's sick, if, if there's something, if there's something broken, if there's something not working, probably we broke it. We we're, we did something that broke down the terrain, that broke down something that that made it sick. There aren't there aren't a bunch of you know sick sickness gnomes and sickness fairies out here <laughs> weaving weaving dust around and picking. You know, picking. I think I'll. I think I could give it to Cindy today. You know, uh, I haven't had a. I haven't had a knock on wood. I haven't had a cold, even a cold, in ten years. Nice. Okay, um, th- that's not because uh, it, it, it's not luck. Um, it's it's you know it, it's partly spiritual, mental, uh, physical, and stuff. But but it's 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 a recognition that there's a terrain here, and I need to create a habitat that allows nature its its default position of fundamental wellness. Right. And and I think that that is something that every single one of us can really get a hold of and and get uh, encouraged and inspired and, and excited about yeah. that that we that we can actually participate in this amazing ecological womb. We can we can get a hold of this ecological umbilical as a as a participant in in wellness, as opposed to as opposed to just you know by faith, rather than just living every day in the fear. Oh no, what am I going to get? Oh no, what's what's going to you know, happen tomorrow? Right. Uh, that 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 is a broken system, and we can choose to step out of that system and join a tribe that is fundamentally about wellness. I love it, man. And so, where do, where do people find you? Where do people learn more about what you're doing? I know you're speaking all over the place, and like where, where do people yeah, find well, you? our yeah, our our website is Polyface Farms. That's all one word, polyfacefarms.com, uh, and it has a lot of information on it. It also has all of my spe- where I'm going to be speaking and doing you know gigs and conferences and things. 
but yeah, I will be out there in in uh, your area for the Mother Earth News Fair and for the uh, for Billy's uh, uh, Farm to Consumer uh, fundraiser awesome. uh, event uh, later in the season. So. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing uh, a lot of folks out there. Yeah, awesome, man. And one thing I ask everybody super, super quick because we are in our time. It's such a great time to chat with you. Um, if you could go back to any age and say, give yourself any message, what age would you go back to and what message would you give yourself? What? You mean my, my own personal age? Yep. Yeah, I was. I, I'd go back to when I was 20 and I'd tell myself to not – you know, whatever. Sleep with that one. Oh, <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> oh my. Uh, ooh, I don't know. Maybe for me it would be I'd go back to when I was 18 and say, don't go to college. Okay. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> um, awesome, man. <laughs> I'd, I'd, say, I'd say just, uh, just uh, keep building your... Keep building your chicken business and go. Don't take that four-year hiatus and multi-thousand dollars. I love it. <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and and I didn't have a bad college experience. Just it just that um, that I, I think I think it's it's not it's it's not all what's cracked up to be uh, in a lot of ways. And a lot of people, if they take that money and time and go ahead and launch their their uh, enterprise. Yes. Uh, they'd actually get a lot farther faster. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing you, Joel. Thank you so much for coming on. I've, I loved chatting with you, man. I appreciate it. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.